This week I talked to Professor Helen Marshall, Vice-Chancellor at the University of Salford. It's a university that's working in partnership with further education institutions to make the choice of high quality technical education a reality. We discussed the work that Salford's doing to provide the high skills people that will be needed for those opportunities in new and emerging sectors in the green and the tech economy. And also Helen's personal journey to becoming a Vice-Chancellor. Professor Helen Marshall, thanks so much for doing the Fit for Purpose podcast this week. You're Vice-Chancellor of the University of Salford and obviously for you social mobility and levelling up is a key part of how the university thinks about about everything. It's all about opportunity. Tell us a little bit though about what levelling up means to a university like Salford and, and why it matters so much to your institution. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Leveling up, education is a major, major influencer, a major tool in social mobility. The ability to transform your life through learning new skills, gaining knowledge that will help you both personally and professionally, having experiences that expand your horizons, makes you a, a more well-rounded person and gives you more opportunities in life. And at Salford, we're really proud that this is part of our DNA. This is part of our history. And if anything, we've um, brought this much more front and center over the last five years. Now, if you look at our student population, many of our students come from backgrounds that aren't well represented in the higher education sector. Young people who are first in family to go to university, older people who are looking to change careers or study at a higher level, and they're juggling, many of them, juggling family commitments, those older people. We also have a very high proportion of BAME students, um, and it's much higher than the average in the sector. So supporting them on our journey is really, really important, but it's one of the reasons we exist as a university. And we're really proud that many of our students who are coming from um, first in family, and more deprived backgrounds go on to succeed fantastically in their careers and in their personal lives. So for us, it's it's our DNA, it's part of who we are and what we do, and we see it as a major tool in social mobility. And I think for you and the staff, obviously, it's been an incredibly challenging time as we've all had to confront the pandemic, pandemic and COVID. But has that very clear sense of purpose for the university been one of the ways that you've actually helped navigate through it? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we, we're really good at at Salford is teamwork. Um, I mean, we use the term Team Salford quite a lot. And people have pulled together our staff right across the university, every role from our security staff all the way through to our academic staff, our frontline student service staff, our senior team have been incredible in this. And they have realized the most important thing over the last 10 or 11 months has been giving the students the best possible experience we can give them in what are incredibly challenging times. So staff have stepped up in terms of putting stuff online. Um, they've been on training courses to say okay I can put this online but it's basic and I'm not happy with it I want it to be much more sophisticated so we've put much more sophisticated training programs on so that we can put more sophisticated online learning on 
um, we, we had staff knocking the door saying we want this platform, which was a much more sophisticated online learning platform than the one we previously used, because that online learning was supplementing face to face, it was mainly face to face with a bit of online. Now, of course, it's online supplemented by face to face. And again, staff have just stepped up because they want the students to get the best experience that, that they possibly can get. So I take my hat off to them. They have been phenomenal, the staff and the students as well um, in engaging with us, feeding back to us and helping us get the best we can on the ground. And just tell us a little bit about, you mentioned how diverse your student intake is and just how many of those potentially communities and people that we absolutely want to make sure can get access to higher education are able to do that for, for Salford. Tell us about some of the challenges they face, but also, in a sense, the work that you're doing with those communities to make sure that that offer to be able to come to Salford is one that they can really genuinely take advantage of. Well, one of the things we do is uh, we work with schools with kids from the age of 10 um, and we bring them onto campus um, and do uh, Wednesday afternoons. And we bring them in, bring them into labs, we bring them into all sorts of, and we, we, we don't take them into a classroom, we take them into what we call fun and games facilities. Um, so we, we take them into some of our virtual um, rooms and let them play games. We, we uh, take them into the energy house and show them how all that works. And what that does is... And maybe just explain what the energy house is, Helen, for people yeah, listening the to The energy this. house is, is a house in a steel safe um, and what it does is allow us to use that steel safe to, we can, we can put the temperature at plus 40 degrees and minus 11 degrees and make it snow, mm -hmm. rain, you, you name it. But we can also, we have it wired up. So we can also uh, work in the areas of dementia. So if you're an elderly person living on your own with dementia, we've now got robot pet dogs that look after you. Um, and we allow students to go in there and use those, experiment with them, control the robot pet dog. And we're, what we're doing is familiarising them with the university campus and with the university environment. So it's not when they get to age 16, 17, oh, I can't go to university. No one in my family has ever been to university. Oh, no, 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 I can't go near there because they've been there. They've played there. They've worked there. They've done things there. They've helped do certain bits and pieces of work for us and it's familiar. And that is the biggest single thing that impacts on students from first, first in family to go to university coming and applying to us because it's not some place that's up on a hill, up on a mountain that they'll never get to. It's familiar, it's friendly, it's normal, it's fun. And that has had a massive effect these, these Wednesday afternoon um, school visits and our students love it because they come in and help us work with these kids and we start it as I say age 10 and we work them all the way through uh, um, until 16 17 and I think it's it's really interesting hearing what you're doing with those you know those quite young children and and as you say you, you keep those relationships going um whilst they're in that primary and secondary and college school system but it'd be really interesting to hear a little bit about the work that you're doing, which, we, which we've really dug into through the, the action plan that we're pulling together um, between the Social Mobility Pledge and, of course, the University of Salford. I know, Helen, that you particularly focused on how you can blend together 
those more technical routes that young people might want to go down with, if you like, the more traditional academic routes that a university can offer. So this sense of bringing together, if you like, the further education and higher education offer so that there's a real choice for young people, um, depending on which one appeals to them more. Yeah, and so what we've, what we've learned um, from work we've done uh, with schools, with colleges, and also with employers around degree apprenticeships is that there's a huge missing middle. Um, when we went into serious growth in higher education um, 20 years ago, um, we lost HNDs and foundation degrees. And a lot of employers are looking for um, what, what they call knowers and doers, skilled people um, who can also have very good hands-on practical technical skills. And again, talking to employers, talking to colleges, we have now put an application into government to set up the Greater Manchester Institute for Advanced Technical Skills. And that is um, allowing people to come in and do HNDs very much in the industry 4.0 space and working with um, colleges and schools where kids are still a bit, well, I'm not sure about university, we, we're selling them this institute um, as a means by which they can get a, a higher qualification, um, a good job, um, and if they want to, they can top up to degree level, to BSCBA level at, at a later point. And what we're seeing is mixing these very technical skills into that HND space. So we're looking at areas like green construction, like digital creative. It's not about creative industries anymore. A lot of the creative industries work we do with the BBC and ITV on our Media City campus is very much about digital. BBC's digital research facilities there. And we use that with our students to do a lot of experimentation. So that's, that's the big ask. And we've just done a deal to start um, programs in e-games. And e-gaming is now becoming massive. And there's likely to be an e-gaming facility built on Media City in the next few years. A lot of organizations and businesses are looking to locate there, relocate. And there's a lot of jobs and a real big call out. We've got talking to employers, um, employees with that HND level digital skills, they're telling us it's like a football transfer market and they get staff in, um, they employ them. And three months later, they're hunted by another company who offers them 10,000 pound a year more and they go off elsewhere and they haven't got enough. So the opportunities are there. And what we've got to do is get the right routes into higher education. So the Greater Manchester Institute for Advanced Technical Skills, if we're successful in the bid for that, is going to be a massive, massive opportunity. The hub will be in Salford, there will be a spoke in Bury, and there will be a spoke in Media City, one in Wigan and one in Thameside to start us off. So again, we're spreading it around the GM region. I think it's really interesting because what it shows is the role that a university like yours can play really at the heart of that education ecosystem, not only, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, opening up access to a university to a much wider group of people perhaps than, than we might have seen in the past, but then crucially making sure that you're innovating those pathways through to all of those growth industries 
and you know through the work that you do um both with the university and then in the wider education um ecosystem if you like in that region making sure that young people have got the skills that those new companies need for those new careers and i think it's just very exciting because it's a very good practical way that we can make sure that leveling up happens you know there are new careers opening up and you can help through the university make sure that they are able to be accessed by people who normally wouldn't have had a chance to get them yeah and we and we see this as a as a major part of our mission and our vision um is is getting what we don't want is you know media city becomes a fantastic digital creative e-gaming environment and by the way all the employees have come up from the southeast to work there no we want local people working there and there's no reason why that can't happen and we're working very closely um, with a, a number of organizations um, who uh, uh, peel holdings who own media city bbc itv doc 10 uh, the gaming people and the local authority to make sure that we are demand-led what what is it that industry wants and how do we put that on the ground how do we then work with schools and colleges to make sure that these kids are introduced to this? Um, and what's interesting in, in, in the, the space I'm just describing is a lot of kids, you know, with their mobile phones and they spend half their lives on their mobile phones. This is all quite natural to them now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's hard, less hard than, it, than we thought it was going to be in, in terms of, and they're looking at the, the equipment and the, the gaming stuff and everything. And they're thinking, oh yeah, this is fine. how do you work this one then, you know? And, off they go with it. Um, so it's it's exciting and it's a really good way of opening up opportunity. And obviously you've been at Salford now, well, you were Deputy Vice-Chancellor in July 2013, but at the university now for a period of time, when you look at that time you've spent at Salford, it's obviously de developed dramatically. Um, but where would you point to in terms of the projects that you feel are having the biggest impact and that, you really feel Salford, you know, you can be proud of what you've achieved through them. Which ones do you think you'd point to, Helen, as the ones that have maybe inspired you the most and, and that you're you're proudest of? Well, I think I think there's two that I point to. One is is what I call our ICZ agenda, industry collaboration zones, where we've set up zones on campus that actually focus on industry collaboration. It, they're outward facing. So if you're in the department of Zology and someone else is in the department of Yology, um, and you don't work together and you don't see each other. Actually, the industry that you both face off to is the same industry, and we need you to come together and actually work together. I mean, a, a good example is if you look now. I mean, we do quite a lot of work with Siemens. If you work, look now, automate automated production, automated manufacturing. It's not nuts and bolts and oily rags engineering anymore it's it's about robotics it's about electronics it's about mechanical engineering and uh, it's about it a lot of stuff because that all needs programming so coming together like that and the industry collaboration zones have enabled our colleagues to come together and work on major initiatives so much so we're just we're, we're building it as we speak we're just about to open um, an industry-related robotics centre to work with industry in the northwest. So, if you're if you're um, a medium-sized industry or even a large industry, I mean, we're working with Kraft and Kellogg's, uh, looking at automated manufacturing and robotics 
in food manufacturing, they, they're coming to us with a challenge. We and our students work on that challenge, come up with a solution for them, and they take that solution away and actually put it on the ground. And that robotics innovation, the Northwest Robotics Innovation Center will be doing that for SMEs and large companies all around the Northwest. And that building is, as I say, it's going up as we speak. So it's that kind of project, Energy House 2, because we're doing a slightly different version of Energy House 1, that's going up again, and that's about green construction, both retrofit and new build. And then the IOT, the, the Greater Manchester Institute for Skills, again, the one I've just described to you um, with the HNDs and, and facing off to those industries, that would be the other one. They all join up. They're all in the same space. It's about producing skills for the future that are future-proofed. And they are skills that are developed by curricula that is co-created with industry. It's not Professor Brown in his office thinking, oh yeah, well, I'll do this. I like teaching that, so I'll teach that. We work with industry, right? What is it that you're gonna need in three years time in terms of skills? And how do we develop that and put that in our curriculum? And that for me has been a major part of how Salford has moved forward hugely over the last five or six years. I think it's really interesting just how practical the agenda is, but also how utterly relevant to economic transformation, particularly around not only the net zero agenda, but the wider, the wider technology agenda. Now, Helen, I wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously it's fan, I always think it's fantastic when I, I, I meet women in leadership positions and, and you're one of those, but tell us about your personal journey. Um, do you end up becoming a vice chancellor of a university? You know, I think when we're all at school, we may have paths forward that we have in mind that we might take, but I guess, being in academia and, and that kind of route isn't one that, in a sense, everybody would look to. Tell us a little bit about how you end up becoming VC at, at Salford. Well, it's a, it's a very patchy history, I'm afraid. Um, so when I, when I was three, my parents moved to Sierra Leone and worked out there for four years, and I lived there for four years. And I came back to uh, Cardiff um, and came back in December and uh, I remember coming back and being freezing cold and for the first time in my life having to go to school and wear shoes and sit at a desk all day. And I, I was quite traumatized by that. Um, during that time, my parents went back out for a further year and um, I, I was in school living with my grandparents and my grandparents took me to a local farm um, because they were friendly with the farmer. And the, the farmer's wife, um, Bunty Hanford, she taught me how to, how to ride a pony in that period. And I fell in love with horse riding. And through, throughout my childhood, I rode horses and I was quite naughty at school because horse riding was much more important to me than doing schoolwork. Um, but I ended up um, doing a law degree. Um, I, I always fancied medicine. Um, but I wasn't very good at maths. So I sort of gave up chemistry and physics because A-level chemistry and physics is, is quite hard in the math space. So I ended up doing um, humanities A-levels and going to do law. And I loved corporate law. Uh, it was, for me, corporate law was everything. And I graduated and I got a, a, a job at a solicitor's 
um, in Cardiff thinking I was going to become a corporate lawyer. Um, and this is 1981. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up doing family law and probate. And after about six months, I said to them, sorry, you know, when I came, you said I could do corporate law and I'm doing family law and probate and that's not me. Um, and they said, yeah, but you're a woman, you're better in that space. And I thought, I'm, I'm not having that, thank you very much. <laughs> anyway, I happened to have a conversation with um, a, a friend of mine, a guy called Roger Gregory, and he put me in touch with a guy called Robert Pennington, who was a big corporate lawyer at Birmingham University. And I went there and got a postgraduate research scholarship and did a major piece of research with Bob in takeovers and mergers. And I just loved it. And part of the scholarship was doing some part-time teaching. And mm -hmm. I just got into the, the teaching. And that was the start of my career, teaching. And you found your thing that brought together, I guess, what you were already interested in, which was corporate law. But then you discovered that you love teaching. Yeah. And I just loved that. I loved the teaching. I loved, you know, challenging students and being challenged back by them. And, and, and it was great. So I went through an academic career. Um, and then at the, the university I was working at, um, there was a there was a challenge to the quality of some of its courses. And um, the deputy vice chancellor asked me to go and um, be seconded to the QAA, the Quality Assurance Agency. Um, so that I could learn more about quality. And I came back from a, a year's secondment and um, started to put some different stuff on the ground at the university, got promoted then to a managerial role. Then mm -hmm. I got headhunted by what became the University of Cumbria to lead the merger of three colleges in Cumbria to make the University of Cumbria, which was an interesting experience. Um, I then wanted to move back to Cardiff to go home as it were, got a job in South Wales um, and, and really enjoyed it. And then got, I went on the Lions tour to Australia in 2013 and got woken up about two o'clock in the morning one night by a headhunter who headhunted me for the Salford job. <laughs> um, and I ended up going to Salford back up to the Northwest. And then the VC retired, went back to South Africa and I was asked to just take over temporarily which I did. And then when the job came out, I was encouraged by the chair of the board to apply for it and got it. Um, and my best friend who lives in Abervale in Wales, she calls me the accidental vice chancellor um, <laughs> because she said it was never, it, you know, she said, if you look at your career, it was never really, she said, everything you moved into was, oh, I fancy that I'll go and do it. And I enjoy it. And I've enjoyed being the vice chancellor. I have a great team around me great university and we've made great progress so that that's the history I'm afraid it's a bit bumpy <laughs> do you think um one of the lessons in this is is really that doing what you're enjoying and kind of going with that sometimes is also quite a smart move in terms of developing your career because you know often it's that interest that means you you really shine I, 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 yeah I agree I mean I look back now and I think every time I've moved I mean, I did, you know, did the merger and, and, and was, you know, a major part of creating the University of Cumbria. Um, and I really enjoyed that work. But once it was done and it was merged and it was a university, I thought, right, OK, I've done it now. Um, I need to go somewhere else that's got a different challenge. Um, and I went down to uh, what's now the University of South Wales because they had a massive project called UHOVI, University of Heads of the Valleys Institute, which is very similar to what we're doing with the Greater Manchester Institute of Advanced Technical Skills. 
And this was about leveling up the valleys. So if you go to Cardiff, you, you know, it's quite a prosperous city. You go to Merthyr Tydfil, it's a completely different world. And bringing higher education, HNDs particularly, to um, places in the valleys, Ebervale, Merthyr Tydfil, um, places like that, to support kids coming through FE colleges into higher education. And I remember, and I'll never forget this, the first graduation in Merthyr Tydfil, family, um, at the end of the graduation, I was talking to the, the girl who graduated an HND in, in IT, and she was telling me she'd got a job with Admiral Insurance, and she was so proud of herself. Uh, her dad was there, mum and dad were there, neither of them in work. Her grandparents who lived with them there, neither of them in work. And she was the first in family to get that kind of job. And I thought, right, we've actually added something here. We've done something worthwhile. And we, we could demonstrate that right across the, the, the South Wales Valleys and really upped the ambition and appetite for kids to go into higher education qualifications. And, and I've taken some of the lessons from that into this Greater Manchester Institute. Would you say that during your career and that steady progress up to the, the vice chancellor role that you're in now, that there've been barriers at times that you've had to overcome? Where where's it got hard and you've had to sort of work out how you get to that next step? Um, well, I think, you know, I think being a female, um, I mean, if you go back into the 1980s in higher education, it was very male dominated. It's much less so now, but being a female, certainly in the early days, if I'm honest, was a factor. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm a mum to two kids. Um, they're both now grown up. Um, I mean, they tell me they're grown up, I'm not. Um, so they're, they're, I mean, one's a doctor, one's a nurse, and they're very much on the front line right now. Um, my husband's a dentist and he had his own dental practice in the Northwest. So moving back to South Wales, which has been my ambition and ultimately when I, retire I will go back there um, was difficult because he had a business you know his dental practice and the business was in the northwest so there, there have been those restrictions so getting a job in I don't know Leeds or getting a job in Birmingham you know in terms of career there were limits I needed to be in the northwest for quite a long period of time um, until the kids were grown up and until he eventually uh, semi-retired and sold the practice. So those, those were restrictions and, and, you know, family in the end for me was, was absolutely important and came first. Um, and, and, you know, all of that was, was, I think, quite a challenge looking back on it now. Mm, navigating, navigating those very practical barriers. And I think if you, if you were looking back on it more fully, you know, you talked about all that journey you took, what sort of advice do you think you'd give you know the much younger Helen uh, I'm not sure what age to suggest Helen actually I could go for the slightly naughty Helen that's just arrived back from Sierra Leone and not too keen on education full stop not realizing she was going to have a career in it but what <laughs> advice do you think you'd give to your younger self I think looking back on it um I I think in my teens um, there were a lot of Fridays I missed at school. I got thrown out of Latin O-level classes um, because I spent too much time reading the horse and hound at the back of the class and, <laughs> um, and not, not doing what I should be doing. I, I, I think less horse riding and more schoolwork. I had a teacher called Alan Ford 
who said to me, you've got the ability to go and do and be whatever you want in the world, but you've spread yourself so thin, you don't focus on the, the schoolwork in the way you should. And I think it was probably getting a better balance um, between, because I loved horses, um, still do, still got one. Um, and I think it was getting a better balance between that and the schoolwork in, in my teens that if I look back, I could have done quite happily, but I was just quite naughty. <laughs> it sounds to me like the other advice to the senses, listen to what people are telling you, you know, those mentors around you, because actually there might be something in it um, yeah, that's think, worthwhile paying attention to. Yeah, I think that's probably, that's probably true because I had another teacher, Hannah Roberts, who was my maths teacher, um, who said, you know, you can be a hell of a lot better than you are if you just put your mind to it. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, I was, I, I was just never that sure about where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do, I think. But um, yeah, so it was, it was getting that better balance between work and play. Well, you obviously managed to find it. Um, Eventually, yeah. Later career, later career demonstrated. And now in this role as VC, obviously doing a huge amount on the ground, um, not only in Salford, but, but more regionally. If you were able to make those wider policy changes, perhaps change one law, change one policy that could help on leveling up the universities, what do you think it would be, Helen? I mean, where would you focus now, do you think? Um, well, there's a few areas that I think I'd go for. I, I think probably the one I would go for, um, because it's something that I hear a lot about, is the student um, tuition and maintenance loans and the way that works. And I would, I would abolish the current system and I would be looking to introduce a graduate tax so that all um, students that have been through university pay a graduate tax and that's linked to earnings so the more so the more successful you know at the moment the loan rate on the student loans is quite high and there's a lot of talk and, and again we get a lot of pushback in schools and colleges in more deprived areas well yeah, if I go to university I'm going to come out with a £50,000 debt and I you know I mean to them that's phenomenal and they can't they can't cope with it and I think if we went it down the road of a graduate tax um, and that was linked to your earnings that would be a fairer way forward and would encourage more students to go into higher education. I also think from a government perspective because of the percentage of students who don't pay back their student loans and, and then they're written off after 30 years um, I think from the government perspective, that might be a better way forward. And so that, that to me would be um, more leveling up. So if you went to be a nurse um, and you were really contributing, but your pay is quite modest, um, your, your repayments for your student finances would be different to if you went into the city of London uh, and became a stockbroker and were earning a lot of money very quickly. And I think it's that kind of levelling up which would do. So that would be the area I would look at. It's interesting you say that, Helen, because whilst we was at the DfE, we were looking at a complete alternative approach on higher education finance that isn't a million miles away from 
what you talked about and and what i was interested in was whether you could take that idea of a graduate contribution made out of salary still have it capped so almost perhaps take the the concept of a, a tax but but have it capped in terms of how many years you'd be paying it so there was some sort of end in sight but i think doing that sort of approach would be more progressive and my sense was that it's a bit like the nhs you know everyone pays into it because we know we'll use it but not everyone is a student and has the chance to become a graduate so almost making that that contribution so that a new generation can go to university really matters but in my mind that would go into a higher education fund that would obviously fund degrees I think you'd possibly look at companies making a contribution as well because they do in relation to apprenticeships but they equally benefit from the graduates that are being turned out and I think you'd be able to start looking at it much more strategically but it would crucially mean you could overcome this issue of the loans and the tuition fees and this I, I think you're right that you know as tuition fees get higher then there is this issue of, of debt aversion and we haven't really seen it bite yet but actually I think for a lot of young people it is a worry and um, it's one that you needed to think ahead of if you like rather than just wait and see young people from Lurick and families put off because the, the tuition fees were just were just too high so it may be that at some point we do get onto that that wider policy agenda, but I think there would be some real merit in doing it. And I think it could be made, as you say, fairer, actually. Yeah. Um, and we should recognise that, you know, people often may go into lower earning roles after they graduate because they're doing utterly crucial public sector jobs that maybe tend to be paid less than if they'd head off, headed off into the city. Absolutely. I mean, you know, my youngest daughter's a nurse and I know how much she earns and I know how hard she works and it's, it's you know, tough yards for her. Um, and yet she absolutely loves it. And she, you know, she's totally committed to that career. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just think that fairness wise, um, it's probably a fairer, both, both the students and the government, ironically, because the government is getting uh, into a situation where it's having to write off a huge amount. Which is not fair, either way. Well, look, Helen, it's been absolutely fantastic um, doing the podcast with you today. We're really excited about the action plan that we're pulling together with the University of Salford. There's great stuff um, that I think we can focus on, but also, as you say, lots of exciting plans um, for, for what you can do going forward as well. And I think it can really show how a university like Salford is right at the heart of the levelling up agenda. And in a sense, much more so than just the outreach that you do and the, you know, the widening access and participation agenda that you have. But anyway, Helen, it's been a pleasure having you on. Good luck with all of that work. And we're looking forward to continuing to work with you through the Social Mobility Pledge. Thank you very much. And thank you for your time today. It's been great. And uh, stay safe and um, have a good week.